All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, some of you know what 2 Corinthians 8 means. Some of you have looked at the title on the screen up behind me and you've deduced uh, what 2 Corinthians 8 means. We are going to be looking this morning at the topic of money. And that's not even the best news. <laughs> the best news is that this is uh, part one of a two-part series on money that we're going to be looking at this week and next week. And I know that uh, when we talk about money, there can be all kinds of different thoughts going through your minds. And in all seriousness, I just want to remind you that uh, as our church family, or if you're visiting this morning, uh, you need to hear this as well. Uh, the priority is that each and every one of you would have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be growing in your walk with Him into a more and more mature disciple, and that you would be transformed into a deeper and deeper worshiper of Him, all for His glory and for your greatest good. You know that this is the all-encompassing mission of what we are doing here at Redemption. And so, uh, not outside of this, but flowing from this, from time to time, it is good for us to look specifically at this topic Listen, because there is absolutely, without a doubt, a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle money. Let me say that again. There is absolutely, without a doubt, a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle money. The Bible has a ton to say about this. It's been said that there are over 2,000 verses in our Bible about money and possessions. And just to put that into perspective, uh, that means for every one verse that we would see in our Bibles about prayer, there would be four verses, roughly, about money and possessions. In the Gospels alone, one out of every ten verses is Jesus talking about stewardship. That's how we handle our money. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Why? Why does the Bible talk so much about money and possessions? It's because what you do or don't do with money reveals what your priorities are. And your priorities, by definition, reveal what you deem to be most important. See, much more than just used for the exchange of goods and services, money is a barometer of our hearts. Pride, greed, idolatry, misplaced trust, and, and yes, even negligence or indifference toward the Lord and His kingdom can be reflected from our hearts in the way we manage money. Or, money can be used for God's kingdom, Reflecting a heart of humility and generosity and praise and properly placed trust in great attentiveness to the things of the Lord. Because money has such a dangerous pull on the human heart, it's, it's a really good thing for us to take a couple of messages to cultivate our relationship with the Lord and set our minds on the things above through looking at what the Word of God has to teach us about money, and, and specifically about giving. And what we're going to see here in these two chapters, this week and next, is that God wants you and me to have a heart that is eager to give. God wants us to have hearts that are eager to give. This is integral to what it means to be a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, is to be a giver. A giver of time, a giver of talent, and yes, certainly a giver of treasure. Giving to advance God's kingdom includes giving towards missions and evangelism. It includes giving toward all the different ministries that affect the spiritual development of the local church. And it also includes giving to meet the needs of those who are lacking the necessities of life especially those who are of the faith. So I just want to say out the gates that while the circumstances of these two chapters in their context we're going to see 
talking about money is, is going towards this, this latter need to meet the necessities of life, uh, the, the heart dispositions that we're going to see this morning, the, the principles that we're going to draw out from, from this passage apply biblically to every kind of kingdom-focused giving. Well, before we begin uh, to read the text, let me just help us uh, orient our minds with what's going on here in this letter and in uh, the Apostle Paul's ministry and in the city of Corinth. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, went to Corinth during his second missionary journey. He planted the church there and he spent 20 months discipling and equipping the believers in Corinth to get them started. And after he left, uh, it appears that there was at least four letters written from the Apostle Paul and probably some back from the church to him, two of which we have in our Bibles that are part of, of God's Word. And we see from these letters and the descriptions of the other letters that the Apostle Paul's relationship to the church in Corinth was rocky at, at best. He had to deal with a number of significant sins that were going on in the church in Corinth. And he also had to deal with some supposedly religious leaders who were following on his footsteps after he left the city, completely maligning his name to the people there, lying about him, trying to persuade the church in Corinth, and it seems even successfully at times, that the Apostle Paul was was not for them, he didn't love them, he, he wasn't serving their interests but his own, his message wasn't true. And he had to deal with, with this and one of the ways he did this was by sending Titus uh, to deal with the church in Corinth, to correspond, to deliver a letter or two, to bring back a report from them to him. And in this case, Titus brings back, thankfully, a good report. He's gone and he's met with the church in Corinth. They've received him. They've embraced the Apostle Paul afresh. And that's where we pick up in, in chapter 8. And part of the, the restored relationship is resuming this giving initiative that had been previously begun. It's a special offering, we would call it, today. And so let's pick up, read with me, beginning in chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 down through verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Here we see first that the heart that's eager to give, gives generously, manifesting the grace of God. The heart that's eager to give gives generously, manifesting the grace of God. In this section of the letter, we see Paul telling one church of another group of churches extremely generous contribution for the relief efforts that he's organizing. These churches in Macedonia, you might more readily Think of as the Philippians and the Thessalonians and even the Bereans. And if you think of these churches, think of the book of Acts or the letters, if you're familiar with the letters written to these churches, one thing that you might remember about them is, is that it was not comfortable or easy for them to have embraced Christ and, and follow Christian, Christian ways 
It wasn't easy. In fact, it was very difficult. Paul tells the Philippians that they embraced Christ with much suffering. Similar things he talks about in the letters to the Thessalonians. We, we even read in the book of Acts that in Thessalonica, a man named Jason was dragged out of his house and beaten by an angry mob simply for believing the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that the apostles had brought to their city. And yet, Paul details here how in their extreme poverty and their severe affliction, they went above and beyond than what anyone would have imagined in their giving. He says, with much joy they gave and and their generosity was huge. He's not talking about the amount of what they gave, by the way, when, when he says that they had a wealth of generosity. He's talking about their generosity. Their generosity was rich. They had a heart that was eager to give. And in verse 3, as, as we read, it says they gave according to their means and even beyond their means. And they didn't do this because they had to. They did this because they desperately wanted to. And we read this and, and we read in the same verse, verse 2, words like severe test of affliction and extreme poverty together with words like abundance of joy and wealth of generosity. And we, we think, how, how can this be? Like, how can such things go together in the same group of people? How can they give beyond what they should even have been able to give in these circumstances? And the answer is, it's grace. It's God's grace working in their hearts. This is what God's grace does. This is the report that Paul wants to share with them. He says, I want to tell you about the grace of God and what's come about because of his favor. You may have noticed that God's grace is all over these verses. What Paul wanted the Corinthians to know and what God wants us to see this morning is that it is his favor towards us that we would be so generous in our giving. The church in Corinth loved the idea of being in God's favor. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had to admonish them for being proud of of the gifts that they had within the church, the spiritual gifts, the abilities that they had. Here now, he's taking a different angle in verse 7. And he's reminding them that they more than welcomed the lavishing of God's grace upon them when it came to understanding biblical truth. When it came to believing and proclaiming this biblical truth, they they were eager to receive God's grace, to be able to do these things. They, They were eager to receive God's gift of, of love for them through the, through the love of the apostles and, and his companions. And, and yet he tells them, listen, be zealous to experience God's grace in having a heart that's eager to give financially. When, when you understand and believe that it's a gift of God to have a heart that's eager to give, this changes everything, doesn't it? And this, this understanding is accompanied by some core biblical convictions about money. We, we can't experience God's grace in this way without understanding some, some fundamental truths about money that's, that are taught through and through in God's Word. They're not explicit here in, in this passage, but I have to believe that um, part of those 20 months that the Apostle Paul spent Discipling and and opening the word of God to these people in Corinth would have included him giving them a biblical worldview in money. And what one thing they would have understand understood, one conviction that they would have come to have is this: that the money in my bank account is not my own; it belongs to God. 
The money in my bank account is not my own. It belongs to God. I'm merely a steward entrusted to manage His money. One such example from the Scriptures that really helps us see this is the example of King David before the people of Israel when they gave toward the building of the temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we read what David said in the presence of the assembly. You can follow along with me in verse 10. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Now listen to what he says. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to thus offer willingly. For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. This is the heart that the Apostle Paul wanted for the churches. This is the heart that God wants for us. Hearts that are eager to give and hearts that understand that anything that we we give is God's already in the first place. Do you embrace this truth? Do you embrace the truth that, that all that you have belongs to God? And I need to tell you this morning that embracing this truth is what you must do if you're going to grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you walked through those doors this morning and you wanted to grow closer in your walk with Jesus, then embrace this truth. I remember this week, uh, something that I remember quite frequently actually, and it's just uh, from this uh, radio interview I heard one time, this uh, sports, retired sports uh, personality who's on the radio or on the TV, you, you'd all know who he was most of you, and uh, I, I just find him amusing and interesting to, to listen to. And one time I was listening to an interview um, that he was giving, and the topic of gambling came up. And he was just, just talking about how he loves to gamble. He, he, he loves to play cards. He, he, he loves to gamble on the golf course. He, he loves to gamble. I don't know if maybe sports betting, I'm not sure, but he, he just loves to gamble, and he loves to gamble large amounts of money. And I remember the host asked him, you know, does, does anybody you know, in your family or your friends ever kind of question you on this? Does, any, does anybody have a problem with, with your gambling and, and especially the vast amounts of money that you're spending? And you know what he says? He, he, he says in, in this thick southern Alabama accent that I don't have the courage to imitate before you all. He says, it's my money. He says, I just tell them, it's my money. 
You can't tell me what to do with my money. I'll do what I want. It's my money. And you know what? Sadly, some, some Christians still have this view of the money in their bank accounts. I pray that's not you this morning. Or if it has been you, that you would see that this needs to change in your life. John Piper says it well. John Piper says, God is the wealthiest person in the universe. He not only owns more than anyone else, he owns everyone else and everything everyone else owns. When you create something, it belongs to you. And God created everything, including us. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 100, verse 3. There is one ultimate owner in the universe. God. All others are trustees. Neither we nor what we have is finally our own. It's not my money. It's God's money. And some might say, but but I earned this money, so it's my money. Listen, God gave you the body and the skills that you have. God gave you the brain and the education you have. God gave you the interview or the family and friends connection that you have. God gave you the job you have. It's all from Him. It's all from Him. Whatever you have, it's from Him. It's all His. And when we understand this and embrace it, and when the grace of God is pouring into your heart in the area of, of giving, this is, this is what you begin to say. Not, what should I do with my money? But what does God want me to do with His money? Another core biblical conviction that is fundamental when we think about money and what the Bible wants us to be thinking about in terms of money is that how I manage God's money in this life matters for all eternity. How I manage God's money in this life matters for all eternity. When God's grace is working in our lives to eagerly give, it's, it's because we embrace this truth. We're going to see this more in depth next week, so we're not going to say too much about this now, but what the Macedonian believers realized and what we must realize is that Jesus taught that we're all going to give an account to the Lord on the last day of what we did with His money. And He's going to reward us accordingly. He, 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 Jesus told His disciples, look, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember, where, where moth and rust destroy, rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In heaven, in, in the eternal places. Use what you have here and now to make an investment in the there and then. When the grace of God is evident in us again, and our hearts are eager to give generously, part of this is because we believe that eternal riches are better than earthly comforts. So it all belongs to God, and what I do with it matters for all eternity. These are two biblical convictions about money that we need to embrace, and when we do, we're in, in a position for the grace of God to flow through us and in us in eager, generous giving. Now beyond these um, core convictions, we have a few specific giving principles that we can also begin to draw out of this passage, particularly in, in these verses as well. Here we see in these first seven verses that grace-fueled eager giving gives sacrificially. Sacrificially. In verse 3, again, we read that they gave beyond their means. Now this doesn't mean that they went into debt to give, that they gave something that they didn't have. Uh, Rather, maybe we could paraphrase it like this. Uh, They gave what they were able to give and they even gave more than they should have been able 
to give. They, they, they sacrificed something of their own, something for themselves in order to give toward others. And often, we might not have this attitude. We, we might have a different attitude. We, we might think, well, I'll give when I have extra. Right? I'll give when all my needs and comforts are looked after. And then if there's extra, I'll give on top of that. And, and this is not the biblical picture of giving. Look at what C.S. Lewis says. This is, this is a great quote. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities, our giving, do not at all pinch or hamper, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. It's a good way of looking at it, isn't it? That, that shows that our giving ought to be sacrificial. It ought to cost us something. Another writer said, sacrificial giving means that we part with that which we'd rather keep. It's, it's, it's good to give out of our, our extra, our overflow. It, it's good to, to give in those ways, but yeah. the grace of God in our lives when, when we are eager to give extends even beyond that. So maybe we could ask a question of ourselves. What, what can I go without? What can I give up? What can I sacrifice to be an eager giver? Next we see that grace-fueled eager giving gives willfully. Willfully. Again in verses 3 and 4, says they gave of their own accord, actually begging the apostle and, and Titus or whoever the team was earnestly for the favor of taking part in this special offering. So often, it's the other way around, isn't it? We, we don't beg to give. We, we give if we're begged of. And yet, these people here, they're, they're begging Paul to let them give. Reminds me of uh, an earlier, uh, the earlier verses in Philippians chapter 2 than was, we read this morning. When Paul tells the Philippians, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There's so many examples of others' interests that we could be looking to impact through financial means. We could be looking for actual hungry people. We could be looking for an unbeliever and, and how we might give to make an opportunity for them to hear the gospel. We might think of others' interest in thinking about other believers and their discipleship and how we can give toward their growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many different ways that we can look to, 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 and put other people's interests ahead of our own. And, and we can willfully, without even being asked, we can voluntarily give eagerly. Thirdly, we see that grace-fueled eager giving gives Worshipfully. Worshipfully. Verse 5 says that they first gave themselves unto the Lord in this matter. Listen, all giving is first and foremost to the Lord. It is an act of worship. It is an expression of our hearts bowing down before the King of Kings and saying, this is for you. 
This is for the sake of your kingdom. Take of it. Do with it what you will. Use it for your glory. When you give with the mindset that it's for the Lord and for the sake of His kingdom, then you're manifesting the grace of God in your life. This is why on Sunday mornings, when we take up the offering, we, we treat it as an act of worship unto the Lord. I, I want to encourage each and every one of you during that time to, to just be praying a prayer of, of worship in your hearts. This is for you, Lord. You, you are worthy of anything I could ever give. It's all from you anyways, and, and I'm giving it back for you for the sake of your kingdom, for 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 your work to be done in and through me. If you give online, same thing. There's, there's a bit of a danger in giving online that it can just become automatic and something that escapes your mind. Don't let it escape your mind. If you're giving online, worship the Lord. Take a moment to, to pray. If you've given online previously on Sunday mornings, think about that as you worship the Lord. This is an act of worship. To give. Now, if one or some or all of these uh, convictions or principles are particularly hitting home with you and your heart this morning, what, what should you do about that? What should you do about that? And here's my answer pray. Pray, Lord, would you give me this grace? Would you give me the grace to be an eager giver? Would you bless me by inclining my heart in this way? Say, Lord, I want to have a heart that's eager to give. Please give me this heart. Please give me the understanding where I need understanding. In your favor, open the eyes of my heart that, that you would change the way I, I manage and, and think about and use your money. God, help me in your grace that I might grow in Christ to to think about ownership of money differently, to think about the eternal stakes involved. Think about what it would look like to be more sacrificial, more willful, more worshipful in my giving. Pray that God's grace would abound in your heart. I've been praying that for me this week. This, This has been impacting me, I, I'm not preaching as though I have all of this perfectly figured out. Don't ever think that. We have much room to grow in our understanding of God's Word when it comes to money and giving. And so we must pray that He would further transform our hearts to be eager givers. Let's continue reading in verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, And whoever gathered little had no lack. 
Here we see next that the heart that's eager to give, gives sincerely. Sincerely. Demonstrating the love of others. Eager giving shows that we actually do love others. In the same way that the Macedonian churches have affirmed their love for the saints in need, so now Paul calls upon, he doesn't command, he calls upon the church in Corinth to display their love and to show that it is also genuine or sincere. But even in all this talk about the Macedonian church and and what they've done and in, in their example... It's in verse 9 that Paul gives the ultimate example. The true example. In one of the most uh, glorious, um, wonderful verses in all of the Bible. Let's read it again. Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Underline that. If you don't have it underlined, highlight it, circle it, whatever you need to do. Christ is the finest example of one who showed eagerness and generosity in giving as a demonstration of love. See, the plain truth is there's no one richer than Jesus. And there's no one poorer than us. But in His love, He gave. He gave. He gave. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life. As a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Ephesians 5, verse 25. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Last one. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 2, verse 14. He gave. He gave and we received. And if you're here with us this morning and you do not know this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want you to know the grace. We want you to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want you to know who we were and who we are. We want you to know that we're the greatest rags to riches story that there ever was. We want you to know that we're a bunch of poor beggars who've been given a kingdom. 
we want you to know that as far as spiritual life goes, we were dead. We were stuck in our sins and we had nothing of righteousness in us whatsoever. We were poor and destitute sinners who loved our sin, were at enmity with God, And we want you to know that the Lord of glory came down from heaven. The king of all creation. The one who dwelt in brilliant majesty. Was born as a humble baby. Lived a lowly life and died a horrific death. For our sake. So that we could have eternal life. So that we could be rich in righteousness in him. So that we could have spiritual life through Jesus Christ. Turn back in your Bibles just a few pages to chapter 5. Of course, we need to look at verse 21. It says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He who was rich became poor, so that we, through His poverty, might become rich. If you don't know this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, today's the day. He gives so that you can receive. If you will trust in His payment for sin, then you will become rich in the righteousness of God. If you're here and you do know His grace, take notice of this. That Paul says what he says here. In verse 9, as an encouragement for the church to see the love of Christ in what he's done for us and to let it be reflected in what we do for others financially. This is, he says this in verse 9 in the context of financial giving. This is the model that spurs us on. In wanting to be like Christ, to, to want to love others in giving. And I just, this is overdue, or we're too far into this sermon for this, but I need to commend you guys for your giving. I'm not preaching this sermon this morning because you somehow um, need to hear this in, in a way that um, demonstrates that you're lacking in this area. I, we need to commend this church. We, we just made budget again last year in our weekly giving. We, I think back, I was thinking this, this week of, of our special offering this past summer to Romania and how you gave $80,000 to the church there so that they could build the church building and have a place to worship the Lord. I'm preaching this message to say to us, let us excel still more. And maybe there are some here among us who aren't giving. Would you give so that, that you can love more and more people in our community and, and around the world so that you could be like Christ? Verse 10 says that this would be to your advantage. This would benefit you. This benefits you, Paul says. Listen, another writer said, giving is not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising people into the image of His Son. A sincere demonstration of love through eager giving is a great advantage to the lover. means we get to be like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the, see how that's the grace of God? You want to be more like Christ? Ask God to give you a heart that is eager to give. Sometimes, though we, we have maybe good intentions to give. We, we resolve that we want to give. We might even commit to give and then the follow-through is lacking. That's uh, very common. And this is what Paul didn't want to happen to the Corinthian church. That's why he's saying what he's saying in uh, verse 10. He says, A year ago, you started not only to do this work, but also you desired to do it. So now, finish doing it, he says. 
so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He, he wanted for, for their love for others to be shown genuine and sincere. I thought of First John and how he says in chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, the Word of God says, if you have the money, give it. Give it. Demonstrate that your love is sincere through following through with the act of love. And then in the final few verses, he reassures them, look, he says, I'm not looking to impoverish you for others' gain. That's not what I'm, I'm doing here. He's, he's just saying it's a good idea for those who have more than they need to help those who have less than they need. He's just telling them, look, love shares. Love shares. And he talks about how their abundance, verse 14, at the present time would supply the need of those who don't have so that those people's abundance may supply their need. What's, what's he talking about here? Some, some have suggested that maybe this means, hey, there may come a day down the road when the, the roles will be reversed and you'll be in need and they will have an opportunity to bless you. I don't quite think that's what Paul's talking about here. Rather, I, I take this to be more of a spiritual accounting. That, that in giving... Financially, there will be an, a, a spiritual benefit and abundance that will be returned. That, that those who are depending on the Lord and those who will end up praising and giving thanks to the Lord for their needs having been met, their spiritual fervency, their, their spiritual growth, their, 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 their heart would be reflected back to the giver. We see here a couple of more principles from, from forgiving, biblical principles for giving. We, we could say first that love-fueled, eager giving gives voluntarily. Love-fueled, eager giving gives voluntarily. Back at the end of verse 10, he says that they desired to do it. It was in their hearts. It was, it was their desire. They wanted to give. They, they weren't coerced. They, they weren't made to give. They weren't told you have to give, but they gave out of love. They understood that the motivation for giving is love. And they desired to do this. I hope in your giving you see it as a voluntary gift to the Lord. God doesn't want you to, to feel like you have to give. He wants you to want to give. We also see that love-fueled, eager giving gives proportionally. Proportionally. This we can draw out of verse 12. It says, For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Not everyone can give the same amount. All believers should give, but all cannot give in the same way. And God doesn't expect this either. God doesn't expect you to give, excuse me, what you do not have. Rather, you should prayerfully look at what you do have and then give willingly out of that resource. God desires that, that you would be eager to give 
The, the, the point is not how much you're able to give, but that you do give what you're able. Are you eager to give? Does your heart reflect the grace of God in these areas? God desires that we would be a people who are eager to give. And he sets these truths before us this morning in his word. And he shows us that this is a grace from him. And it's a demonstration of his love. And he reminds us that we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, for our sake he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Are you eager to give? That's the question for your hearts this morning that only you can answer. Did you notice uh, the quotation at the end of verse 15? Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This, this is such a fitting way to, to, to draw this line here from the book of Exodus, reminding us of the manna that God provided for his people in the wilderness. They had nothing, and God said, I will provide for you. I will send down bread from heaven for you. And here's what you do. You you collect it each day, just collect enough for the day, and I'll give you more tomorrow. Such parallels here with with giving. Again, we'll see more of this next week. He says there's going to be enough for everyone. And if you happen to gather more than you need, share it with someone who gathered less than they needed. We think of Paul bringing this quotation in, drawing our minds to, to the manna. And we think of John chapter 6. The Gospel of John where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus speaks these words here, not about the Lord's Supper, but it parallels the Lord's Supper. It it points forward to the Lord's Supper that Jesus would give to his disciples and to us to celebrate. 